Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome. I'm David. I think I know most of you. Um, if you're joining us here today and you're not with us a lot, we're glad you're here. Normally, when people come up here and preach, the first thing we talk about is some kind of current event that's going on, something that's popped up in the news. I'm not going to talk about this romper for dudes, all right? I'm not going to talk about it. Just know that I know about it, and I'm refusing to talk about it, okay? And, but what's a more way cooler current event that I do want to talk about is the birth of Annabelle Rose Donahue. Yeah. So uh, she was born, I think, Friday, seven and a half pounds, healthy baby girl for, for Kendra and Garrett. And that means that baby Ivy Burke is no longer the youngest Echo Kids member anymore. And when I start thinking about Echo Kids, we've got like a, the elders of the group, Ramona, uh, Owen, Ravenna, Levi, Chloe. All, th- these are the elders of Echo Kids. And they're raising up the next generation of a lot of good stuff going on. Okay. All right. As you know, we are starting, we are ending our series called The Beautiful Mind, where we're looking at Philippians. We, this, is a, this is conveniently a four-chapter letter, four-chapter book that we're studying and, and Paul writes it to the church at Philippi. And his message throughout this whole thing is, God, God created you to be joyful, to rejoice in all things, to be a people who, no matter the circumstance, we have this spiritual buoyancy about us. And that's the message that still resonates for us today. If there was one person who could get away with being a little negative, who could get away with being a worrier, somebody who, who feared, that could be Paul. He was, in, he was in this prison. He was constantly on the move. E- around every corner was a threat to Paul's life. But no, he resolves to say, fear is not from God. Today we're really going to focus on this theme of peace through all things. Fear is not from God. God made us to be joyful through everything. And realistically, fear, even for us who follow Jesus, it's a part of our lives. We worry and we, f- and we fear things. Um, what would it be like if that wasn't a part of our lives if we had, if we never feared anything. Well, actually, we, we sort of have a glimpse into this because there's a woman in the United States who's mid-40s, somewhere in the United States, I, they won't tell you her name, who does not have the capacity to fear. Have you ever seen this story? It was on an NPR series called Invisibilia. And there's a lady, they call her SM. They can't talk about her actual name because she, everything could be a threat to her because she feels no threats. She is scared of nothing. So they didn't want people to take advantage of that. But she lives somewhere in the United States and she walks around with no fear, no worry about anything. What happens is she has a disease called Urbach-Vitha disease and it's where the amygdala part of your brain calcifies and that spot is responsible for fear. So she has a totally normal IQ. She, she can feel happiness, sadness, all kinds of other emotions, excitement, can't feel fear can't worry. What in the world would that be like? It's crazy. The only people who can have direct interaction with her are these two neuroscientists at the University of Iowa. And they they study her and they they actually released a clip where they were asking her, hey, SM, can you explain to us what you think fear looks like? And she struggles and she can't do it at all. She's trying to come up with these adjectives and she doesn't doesn't know. She's also a brilliant artist. So they, they say, well, let's try this. 
draw a picture of a face of somebody who's fearful, of somebody who's in terror. She can't do it. It's, she, she doesn't know how. She can't grasp that whole thing. So they, uh, they called her in, and these sound like really mean experiments, but uh, they're, they're not because they didn't work. They would introduce snakes and rats to her to see if she jumped back. They would have really loud noises, bang a gong, play a didgeridoo really loud, um, a bullhorn, something right in her ear. She had no reaction. They showed her scenes from horror films, nothing. She, the things, the physiological things that we do when we're fearful, she does not do. And she tells stories from her life. She, she was walking down the street once, and uh, this guy came up to her off a park bench and held a knife to her throat and said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kill you. And SM looked plainly back at this guy and said, go ahead and cut me. I will hunt your at symbol dollar sign dollar sign. <laughs> and he was so spooked by this woman's reaction that he fleed. She said, that's not the only time. Somebody else put a knife to my throat. I survived that. I've been held at gunpoint twice, she says. And she survived everything. She has no fear. So it sounds like a pretty attractive thing to us sometimes. But then again, she's in all these really sticky situations because she has no idea what fear is like. She doesn't understand what threats are. So basically, she describes the world as this. As she's walking through life and navigating through life, everything around her seems to be wishing her well. (laughs) What a crazy... For the rest of us, for the other seven and a half billion people in the world who do feel fear, sometimes on a daily basis, or worry, Paul has a message for us. And that's, you don't have to do this. You can let this go. God didn't create you to do this. You can be somebody who has peace in your life. You can have joy through all things. So we're going to dive into Philippians uh, chapter 4 here. I think it's 832 in the Blue Bibles if you want to turn to it. As we do this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a prayer. God, thank you for this series. Thank you for this church. God, I want to thank you for your presence here. I know that you're moving in this place. I, I could feel it in worship this morning, Lord, that your presence is undeniably here. God, I am a fearful person. I think everybody here can admit that we worry sometimes. And when we do that, we, we place ourselves as the father of the household. And what I want to do is submit to you today, Lord, this church to submit to you to say that we know that you are the Prince of Peace, Jesus, and that you offer us that spiritual buoyancy. Help us, teach us today, God, teach us. Help us to have a heart that will receive this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so uh, we're gonna start with the first few verses here. Philippians 4, let's go verse 4 to 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Last uh, weekend, Amanda and I went to a graduation party for a friend of mine from seminary. And I didn't know anybody when I started to go in seminary. I was kind of the guy who, I was friendly with people, but I would just go sit in the back and didn't have a ton of friends. Until one day, this woman named Brenda came up to me and started talking to me, and we became such good friends. Now, we don't have a lot in common. We both follow Jesus. That's the best thing. That's the most important thing. Other than that, we're sort of an unlikely pair. Uh, she is a, a tiny Japanese grandmother 
who lived most of her life in California, has been a believer longer than I've been alive. But we became really close friends. And she introduced me to her other friends in seminary, so they became my friends. And we're going to Brenda's graduation party last weekend, and we walk in there, and all of a sudden I realize, all my friends are here. This is great. And I, I oh, there's Diana, and uh, there's Nadine. Where's, how, where's Melinda? And I see Brenda, and we're talking. And then it, it hit me for the very first time. All of my seminary friends are middle-aged, non-white women. <laughs> and which one of these doesn't belong, I don't know. But I'm so fortunate that they welcomed me into their group because there's just wisdom about this group of women and a certain candor. And they're always, this is what it is, they're always joyful. I think about Brenda always has a smile on her face. Uh, Diana, she's always cutting up, has some witty remark. Nadine is a whole different, so when she sings, she smiles the entire time she sings. And actually at Brenda's graduation, she had Nadine come up there and do some worship and, you know, to praise God and to honor this accomplishment for our friend Brenda. And she's singing, How Great Is Our God. And I'm going to spare you that. Uh, but in the middle, she, she gets this clap going and, Yes, Lord, and just all these things. And everybody, you could tell there was an energy all about us because Nadine brought that. And my friends from seminary are those type of people that they, they're, they, we gravitate toward them. They witness to the gospel because they are always, always joyful. And I think that's what God calls us to do, to bear witness to the good news that we have by rejoicing. That's the way that Paul starts this. The next thing I want to look at in this text here is just a pair of words. So it says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, pray about it with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. The key here comes in these two words. Whenever you're praying to God, when you start that communication, got to thank God. God, I am thankful that I have the ability to communicate with you right now. I'm thankful that the scripture right here says that you're near me. You're near me. I don't, I don't have to call your presence down. You're, you're around me all the time. Thank you for that. Thank you for hearing me. The scripture says you care about me. Thank you, God. That posture of gratitude does everything. And then when we're praying, it's, God, I'm, I'm asking you for this thing that I want. If you don't give it to me, though, thank you. God, I'm asking you for this thing that I want. If you give it to me much later than I would have, I would wish that you give it to me, thank you for that. God, I'm asking you for this thing, and if you give me the exact opposite, I am not going to like it, but I praise you through that, and I thank you for that. A spirit of gratitude is the ultimate antidote. If, if worrying and fear is about the what-ifs and the things that we lack, gratitude, you can see, is the opposite. It's a focus on the things that we already have. Think about, I think about the times in my life when I'm most grateful. Just those moments, however often or, or, or infrequent they are, where you just, a conscious thought crosses your head and you think, wow, I am so grateful for this. A lot of times it's at dinner with, with Amanda and Reed and we sit down and you kind of exhale from the day and maybe you're saying grace before and I'm thankful in that moment. It's awesome. I'm thankful when after a flight, when the plane lands and the cabin door opens and people flood out and I'm on solid ground, I'm thankful. I'm thankful there for that moment. I was playing golf with my dad a few weeks ago. That happens like maybe twice a year. And we're coming around the turn and it's a beautiful day and I don't get to see my dad a lot. And it hit me, a conscious thought, I am thankful in this moment. I'm thankful when we go to Parkside Cafe for, for brunch after church and the server comes and she says those magic words, you can get started and hands me my buffet plate. I'm thankful. 
in that two, two of those were about food. What does, that, what does that say? Think about not just the times when we're thankful, but the days. There are days when we're really thankful. Of course, Thanksgiving is obvious. What about Christmas? You have that magic about Christmas that you can't replace and find in any other day, and you're thankful. I think about my birthday. When I see 75 posts on my Facebook, people who don't, I don't talk to all year, and you know, the person that says HBD because he's, he's so busy, he can't even spell happy birthday. But I'm thankful in that moment. I'm thankful. Have you ever, now let me ask you this about those days, Thanksgiving, Christmas, your birthday. Do you fear? Do you worry on those days? It's usually not present. Because we're thankful, it blocks out the ability for us to even worry at all. Gratitude is there, and it is the antidote to fear and worry. Now let's look at verse 7. It's the last part of what we just read here. And verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? All right, when we look at the Bible, when we see peace, we see God together. There's a few different ways we see it. We see peace with God. Peace with God. And that is our renewed relationship with him. It's, this is Romans 5.1 stuff. This is, because of what Jesus did on the cross, we are reconciled with God. Peace with God. We see peace from God. God is, God is interested in taking chaos and putting order to it. So that's a gift that he gives us as his children. It's he, he, when, we, when we call and ask for him, he will, he will bring peace to situation. So peace from God. The final part, peace in God component here is the one that we're looking at in this piece of scripture. It says peace of God. We can read this like God's peace. That is something entirely different. The scripture right here actually says that it's beyond our understanding. We can't quite fathom it. God is the great I am. There's nothing more powerful than him. He's, he always was. He always will be. There's nothing that's truly a threat to God. There's peace there. And we get a little slice of that. I think that's what Paul's saying here, is that peace is offered to us, and it's there for us to take. Uh, there's a quote here that I want to share from Charles Spurgeon, and he tries to describe this peace of God. And the quote is this, unruffled serenity of the infinitely happy God the eternal composure of the absolutely well-contented God, Charles Spurgeon. Wow, I know it says we can't quite understand God's peace. This is a good shot. I, can, I get a picture in my head when I, when I read this Charles Spurgeon quote about unruffled serenity. So uh, the best person I've ever met is my grandmother, Dorothy Wheatley. She, uh, ever since I was born, she would say this thing to me. She would say, David... You're my special grandson. And I, I played that in my head uh, ever since I was a kid. And she would sort of come behind, like my sister and my other cousins were there, and she would come talk to me and, uh, when we were about to leave, and she would whisper in my ear so the other kids didn't hear. She would say, David, you're my special grandson. I never quite figured out what that meant, but she always said it. And if my sister and my cousins ever hear this online, I want to tell you, Grandma loves you. She just loved me a little more. She just loved me a little more. And grandma and I were so tight that we would write letters to each other, snail mail. When I went to college at UK, all the way until when she died, we would exchange letters. And at the end of them, she would always, the very last thing she would say is, David, I love you. You're my special grandson. And I kept all those letters, of course. And I thought about what that means. When I was in third grade, uh, I went on a field trip to, I grew up in Louisville, went on a field trip to Frankfurt the state capital of Kentucky. If you've never been, 
well, maybe you'll get there sometime. Don't go out of your way. Uh, but we went on this field trip, and I remember as a third grader, eight years old, thinking, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. I met the governor. We got a tour of the Capitol building. I came home. I couldn't wait. I went straight to my grandma, and I started bragging to her about this experience. Grandma, I met Governor Paul Patton. I got to see the entire inside of the Capitol building. We got a tour. We had lunch. It was so awesome. And she said to me, David, why don't you take me? And I said, Grandma, I'm eight. (laughs) And she's like, well, when you get your license, I want you to take me to the Capitol building. All right, you seem so excited about it. You're going to take me. And I'm like, yeah, Grandma, I'll take you when I can drive. You know what happened. I started getting older, and she would remind me. She never forgot. This became our thing. David, you're my special grandson. Don't forget you're taking me to Frankfurt. I'm like, it's, it's 45 minutes away. Just drive. Just check it out. But uh, I, I kept telling her as I grew up, yeah, I'll take you. I'll take you. Well, what happened? I turned 16 and got my license. I didn't take Grandma to Frankfurt. I had other stuff to do, better stuff. I was going to go you know, play sports, hang out with my friends, take advantage of the weekend. A Frankfurt trip was going to be an all-day thing. I don't have time for that. And she would keep reminding me. I was 17 and 18 and 19 and 20. And she's like, David, are you ever going to take me to Frankfurt? And it started to weigh on me. Wow. I didn't know a promise I made when I was eight could come back. Uh, July 11th, 2012, I was, I was 23 years old. And Grandma and I went to Frankfurt. And I went and picked her up in Louisville. And we got in the car and it was like one of the best days of my life. We, we drove there and we had a tour of the Capitol we were the only two people there. No one else was there. We went and had lunch at some place in Frankfurt. And, you know, it was a, a date with my grandma. And she told me all these awesome things about our family that I never would have known about. We had plenty of time in the car because I'm not going to drive my normal speed. Grandma's in the car. So it was one of the best days of my life, J- July 11th, 2012, 7-11-2012. And I think about that time and I saved my ticket from the experience because grandma was 86 here. I just, I don't know how many more memories we're going to have as, as I continue to take my life in this direction. About two years later, um, it, was a, it was a Sunday, and Grandma had just received a letter back from me, and she was sharing it with some of my aunts, and she went down uh, in the kitchen. She, she collapsed, and she had a stroke. And um, she went to the hospital, and she spent a few days in the hospital, and she never, uh, she never really woke up from it. And it became evident to me, I was in Cincinnati, of course, and Friday rolled around and, and my family was like, this, uh, she doesn't have much time, you should get home. So it was a uh, Friday in late August and I drove back to Cincinnati, uh, left work really early that morning. And I, I remember coming into Baptist East Hospital where I was born actually, the circle of life type of stuff. And I walk in the room and there's my whole family and I see my aunts and they're crying and I uh, see my dad, who is never emotional, broken up. And I see my grandfather there. And my Catholic grandma had her last rites. And they walk in, and the priest did the thing. And uh, I remember it wasn't much longer after that. The nurses would come in and tell us, you know, she's, she's going to go soon. And you could tell. I mean, it wasn't really my grandma there. So uh, I approached her bed, and I just held her hand. And this was the first time I really lost somebody that I really, really loved. But I held her hand and I prayed and just said, whispered in my grandmother's ear, it's all right, you can go. You can go now. Uh, You can go meet Jesus. We're going to be okay here. And as the rest of my family sort of 
crying and people coming in and out of the room. Grandma had her last breath there where I, when I was holding her hand. <clears throat> and when I think about that day, I can tell you truthfully and soberly, my thought from that day is that I had a certain peace about the whole thing. I was sad. I grieved. But there was something there, and Dylan said it so perfectly earlier this morning. God was in control. That's the best I can do. God was still in control of the situation. With, with this, this terrible thing that was happening, my grandma was gone, and I miss her terribly. And when I was preparing to tell you all this story and looking at pictures and stuff, I do. I miss her terribly when I, when I look at these things and, and think of her. But there's a peace about it, I promise. And the thing about this peace, this God's peace that Paul's writing about, is that it takes away the sting of death. I actually know what that means. I have felt it before. I have felt it. That even death, what seems like the worst possible thing we can experience, in that moment I still know God's in control. That his sovereign hand is behind everything. And that's what I think Paul means when he's talking about God's peace. We can be on the complete top of the mountain. It's the best day ever. We've achieved something. And we sit there and our soul is at peace because God's there. Or we can be on our worst day possible, you know, where it just seems like life couldn't be any worse or any more unbearable. Yet God's peace is still there. And we can feel that he's still in control and that he's never left us. It's, the peace is available to us no matter the situation. Let's pick up here, uh, Philippians, we'll do verses eight and nine. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Yes. So what causes us to worry? What causes us to sin? It's really three things. It's the world, it's our flesh, and it's the devil. There are three different things work together to try to steer us off course, to rob us of our joy and our peace. The world, the thing around us that we sort of all feel this pressure to conform you got to believe this, you got to achieve this, you got to have this, you got to make this. If you don't have these fleeting pieces of happiness, this material stuff, well, you're missing out. That's the world. Think about the flesh. This is that, that sort of darkness in our heart that we all carry around with us. Even as followers of Jesus, we're still fallen. We still have this rebellion. We wage war against God still. That is the flesh, this temptation we walk around with. It's a personal, it's a personal thing. The last thing, the devil. He lies. He accuses. Satan actually means prosecutor. So that voice that you hear sometimes, you call yourself a Christian? Really? You believe in Jesus and you're doing that? Are you sure that you're saved? That's, that's the devil speaking to us. It's those three things, the world, flesh, and the devil. And, and what this scripture tells us is that we can either listen to our heart as it guides us to these negative thoughts or we can tell our heart what to think. We can tell our heart what to think. So worry, fear, those, those thoughts that creep up, especially on Sundays. I've got so much to do this week. What if the car breaks down? What if the kid gets sick? You know, what if this doesn't work out at work? All these what if, what if, what if. Stop that. Don't listen to your heart, but tell your heart what to think. This, what does this scripture say? Everything that is true 
everything that is noble, everything that is right, everything that is pure, everything that is lovely, admirable, excellent, praiseworthy. This is what we should roll our thoughts down. This is, this is how we should judge. Is what I'm thinking right here, this worrisome thought, is it true? Yeah, I think it is. Is it noble? Uh, I don't really know. Is it right? No, probably not. Is it pure? Uh, no, okay, no, it's not pure. Is it lovely? Is it admirable, excellent, praiseworthy? If it's not, then get rid of it and start talking to your heart now. Start telling your heart what to think. David does this, illustrates this beautifully in Psalm 42. We'll look at this verse here. It says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. When you're feeling downcast, when you're, when you're feeling in a low point, this is what we do. This is what David demonstrates. God, I will praise you through this. I will start to think about the positive things. I will be joyful through all this. Worrying is listening to your heart, but peace comes from talking to your heart, from, from course correcting us onto what is true and what's noble and right and pure and all those things. We, have, we, can, we can do that because we tell ourselves this phrase, I have the only thing that matters. All the what ifs, cancel that out. Tell yourself, and I know this is a church of introverts. I'm not one for like, hey, say this out loud. Say this out loud in your head. I have everything I need. I have all that matters. We've got to repeat that. That is the gospel right there. Now let's uh, move toward the end of what we're going to study today. It's the last four verses. We'll read Philippians 4, verses 10 through 13. So it says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Here it is. I can do all things. Through him who gives me strength. So when I read that, we all go to the part that we know, Philippians 4.13. Every good Christian athlete has that wristband or that, that shirt, right? The FCA shirt. Every good, every good follower of Jesus has this <laughs> on your phone or your desktop wallpaper, Philippians 4.13. Yeah. Sometimes do we get the theology mixed up with, I love how one pastor puts this, the Disneyology the Disneyology of Philippians 4.13. When I read this, I can do anything through God because he gives me strength. So I can, I can jump out of this plane with no parachute and I pray to God and he's gonna be there and I'll have strength. I can, I can finally fight this bully who's twice my size because God gives me strength. And this reminds me of one of my favorite memes on the internet here. It says, uh, every pizza is a personal pan pizza if you try hard and believe in yourself. I can eat all things through God who gives me. No, that's not what it is. We get it mixed up sometimes. I don't think God here is telling us, hey, I'm basically like, you know, you're a magician. If you're coming through a trial in your life, call on me. I'll give you the strength and you get over it. Look at the context. We, we, we too often rip this out of the context. Paul is saying here, 
I can endure all things through God who gives me strength. He says, whether I'm well-fed or I'm starving, I can endure it. Whether I've got money or I don't even have a dime to my name, I can endure it. Whether work is going great and I love it or I'm out of a job right now, I can endure it. Whether life is going awesome and everything is great and I'm on cloud nine or I don't know how much more of this I can take, I can endure it. That is exactly what Philippians 4.13 is saying to us. We have been built with this peace. God gives us this ability to have peace through all things. I could give away everything I own. Paul's saying that we don't need anything as followers of Jesus. We could give it all away and we'd be completely fine because that thing that you repeated in your head, I have everything I need. Everything I need, I already have. So most of you have been to the Wheatley house. If you haven't yet, I hope that you come soon. But none of you have seen the coolest thing about my house. So I want to show you a picture of it. This is Baby Reed's room. And uh, when Amanda, my wife, was growing up, her mom would pack her lunch, and her mom's really artistic. And she would draw literary characters on Amanda's lunch bags when she would go to school. I'm really glad that they had to take off because this is embarrassing. But uh, Amanda would take her lunch to school, and she would have these literary characters. And she's a reader, and I think... We're, posi- we're gearing up for read. To, I mean, that's her name, so she will like to read too. But uh, she saved all these bags that she could get a hold of. And when Reed was born, my mother-in-law sent us these, framed these lunch bags that she had drawn when Amanda was tiny. So we we got them, we put them, and hung up hung them up in Reed's room. And uh, Wednesday night, I was I was rocking Reed to sleep, and Amanda says, "Please read to her." And I do it because I'm asked to, but she's not listening. I'm sitting there reading, and I want to tell you that Reed's sitting there all proper, and we have a morning discussion about it. Hey, what did you think happened when? No, she's clawing and screaming and wrestling me to not go to sleep, and I'm sitting here reading, trying to endure what's going on. I can endure all things through God who gives me strength. And I'm reading her Wednesday night, my favorite, The Giving Tree by Shel Silverstein, a, a tiny little poem. I think you're all familiar with it. You know what? I got a little bit. This is only a couple minutes. I'm going to read it to you. Once there was a tree, and she loved a little boy. And every day the boy would come, and he would gather her leaves and make them into crowns, and he would play king of the forest. He would climb up her trunk and swing from the branches, and he would eat the apples. And they would play hide-and-go-seek. And when he was tired, he would sleep in her shade. And the boy loved the tree very much. And the tree was happy, but time went by, and the boy grew older, and the tree was often alone. Then one day, the boy came to the tree, and the tree said, Come, boy, come and climb up my trunk and swing from my branches and eat my apples and play in my shade and be happy. I'm too big to climb and play, said the boy. I want to buy things and have fun. I want some money. I'm sorry, said the tree. I have no money. I have only leaves and apples. Take my apples, boy, and sell them in the city. Then you'll have money. Then you'll be happy. So the boy climbed up the tree, and he gathered her apples, and he he carried them away, and the tree was happy. But the boy stayed away for a long time, and the tree grew sad. And then one day, the boy came back, and the tree shook with joy. And she said, come, boy, climb up my trunk and swing from my branches and be happy. I'm too busy to climb trees, said the boy. I want a house to keep me warm. I want a wife. I want children. 
and so I need a house. Can you give me a house? I have no house, said the tree. The forest is my house. But you may cut off my branches and build a house. Then you'll be happy. So the boy cut off her branches and he carried them away to build the house. And the tree was happy. But the boy stayed away for a long time. And when he came back, the tree was so happy she could barely speak. Come, boy, she whispered. Come and play. I'm too old. I'm too sad to play, said the boy. I want a boat that will take me far away from here. Can you give me a boat? Cut down my trunk and make a boat, said the tree. Then you can sail away and be happy. And so the boy cut down the trunk and made a boat and sailed away. And the tree was happy, but not really. And after a long time, the boy came back again. I'm sorry, boy, said the tree, but I have nothing left to give you. My apples are gone. My teeth are too weak for apples, said the boy. My branches are gone, said the tree. You cannot swing on them. I'm too old to swing on branches, said the boy. My trunk is gone, said the tree. You cannot climb. I'm too tired to climb, said the boy. I'm sorry, sighed the tree. I wish I could give you something, but I have nothing left. I'm just an old stump. I'm sorry. I don't need very much now, said the boy. Just a quiet place to sit and rest. I'm very tired. Well, said the tree, straightening herself up as much as she could. Well, an old stump is good for sitting and resting. Come, boy, sit down. Sit down and rest. And the boy did. And the tree was happy. This uh, poem was written in 1964. Nine million copies have sold. And it's one that resonates with us because it has some really deep, profound truths in it. As followers of Jesus, when we listen to Paul here and he says, you can be content through all things. We got to know that. We don't need stuff. And we're all, God willing, going to get to this point where we're old and we're tired and we can't swing on the branches and we can't play around in the tree and and eat the apples and stuff. And we're just going to want a place to sit and rest. Going to want a solid foundation. And that's exactly what God is offering us, this peace. This peace that's available to us in the best times and the times when we're struggling. That we know through all of this, it is well with our soul.